and a very happy weekend to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. We've got news out of Europe this week. The European Central Bank says inflation in the Eurozone last month rose at the fastest pace in 13 years. In fact, it's even worse in Germany. In September, 4.1% inflation in that month alone, the highest in 29 years. European gas prices are up 23%. That's a record high. And this is a problem not just in Europe, here in the U.S. as well. Gasoline prices, as you have no doubt noticed, are at their highest levels. But do you know highest since? 2014. So yeah, we're beginning to see the real pocketbook implications of this inflation issue. We're having to wait and see if this inflation thing is going to continue or whether it's going to settle down. Nobody knows for sure, and there's a lot of debate about that in economic circles. Meanwhile, you heard the story last month about Evergrande. This is a huge real estate developer in China which defaulted on some bonds. Now there's a company called Fantasia, a mid-sized real estate developer in China, Three weeks ago, Fantasia told investors it had no liquidity issue. Everything's fine. That was three weeks ago. This past week, they defaulted on a $200 million bond. S&P has downgraded the company to triple C. That is junk bond status. Now, this is a particular issue in China because in China, most of the wealth in the country is housing wealth. 78% of all the people in China have their money in real estate. 78% of the wealth in real estate. That's very different from the United States and other countries where we have less than half as much of our wealth in real estate. Just take a look at your own net worth, your own portfolio. Compare the size of your real estate, what's the value of your house, to the value of your 401k and other investments. Real estate is a big part of your total net worth, but it isn't 78% of your net worth, most likely, the way that it is in China. So if there's a big problem with real estate developers in China, that has a huge impact on the individuals living in China. And if they run into a massive recession as a result of this, their reduced spending will have an impact on companies all around the world who sell to Chinese residents. So we're going to have to see how that plays out. Meanwhile, the Chinese government has made an amazing order of all of the state-owned energy companies. All the companies in China that produce energy, coal, electricity, and oil companies, they have been ordered by the government of China to secure whatever supplies they need to enable them to continue operating throughout the winter and to do so, quote, At all costs, meaning the Chinese are afraid that there are going to be climate problems this winter. They want to make sure they don't go dark, and they're telling their energy companies to do whatever it takes to stock up with supplies. If those companies follow suit, and it's reasonable to assume they will, after all, they are government-owned companies with the government officials telling them to do this, that means they're going to be scarfing up a lot of raw material. What's that going to do to the prices of those materials? What's it going to do to the supply availability of those materials and the resulting impact on other energy companies around the rest of the world? Could that have an implication 
on availability and pricing, leading to yet further complications with inflation. We're going to have to wait and see. Let's bring the subject a little bit closer to home now. Gary Gensler, the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, has just made a comment about a potential system-wide risk to our economy. What was he talking about? He's talking about a product that I've been expressing concern about on this show for more than a decade. These products are called leveraged and inverse ETFs. What are they? You need to make sure you know so that you can stay away from these investments. You know what an ETF is. It looks and acts a lot like a mutual fund. You put your money into the ETF, which is, by the way, short for exchange-traded fund. You put your money into it, the fund manager buys a bunch of stocks for you. Or if it's a bond fund, it buys a bunch of bonds for you. Pretty simple, pretty easy. Whatever money you put into the fund, you own a pro rata share of it. If the fund pays dividends, you get your share of the dividends. As the fund grows in value, you get your share of those profits. If it loses value, you suffer those losses as well. There's nothing new or exciting or terribly controversial about ETFs. In fact, they're among the most popular investment products out there in the marketplace. We use them routinely here at Edelman Financial Engines, and I think it's safe to say a very large portion of financial advisors nationwide do as well because they're simple, easy to use, they're low in cost, they're generally tax efficient. What's not to love? But what is a leveraged ETF? This is an ETF that borrows money to buy even more investments. In other words, if you put $1,000 into your ETF, the ETF's gonna go buy $1,000 worth of stocks. But with a leveraged ETF, if you give them $1,000, they're going to go borrow 500 more. Now they're buying $1,500 worth of stocks. If the stocks rise, the profits are exaggerated. Everybody's happy. But if the stocks fall in value, the losses are exaggerated as well. And then there are inverse ETFs. These are stock funds that rise in value if the stock market falls. They work in inverse, meaning in the opposite way. So you're buying this because you're predicting that the stock market's gonna fall. You're actually hoping that the stock market falls because if the stock market goes down, you actually make money. If the stock market goes up, you lose money. And get this, some inverse ETFs use leverage. They do both. So they're exaggerating their gamble in a very big way. And Gary Gensler this past week said that these products pose system-wide risks to our entire economy. Right now, these funds hold a total of $112 billion worth of assets. He's concerned, and I share this concern, that many of the retail investors who are buying these funds really don't understand the level of risks that they're taking. They don't even understand how they work. I'll give you this one, for example. If you buy an inverse ETF, meaning you're making a bet that the stock market's going to go down instead of up, what is the holding period that you're supposed to use when buying that investment? If you buy an inverse ETF, how long are you supposed to hold it? You might be shocked to discover that the intended holding period, according to the sponsors of these products, is one day.
Well, you say we try that one again, huh? <laughs> this is really how they're meant to work. These are meant to be a daily bet on the market. It's not that you're predicting that over the next few months, the stock market might fall. You have to be making a bet for a specific day. If you don't sell it at the end of the day that you've bought it, you're compounding your level of risk exponentially in the fund. So I'm concerned, as is the chair of the SEC, that many investors don't realize how these investments work. They're not familiar with the fees, the risks, and they are therefore setting themselves up for failure. And when these investments move in the wrong direction, if that in fact ultimately occurs, Gary Gensler is concerned that there could be a run on those investments causing adverse implication for the overall marketplace. The message to you is very clear. Do not invest in leveraged ETFs or inverse ETFs. And if somebody suggests to you that you buy them, go get a second opinion from somebody else to make sure you understand how they work and you can determine how they fit into your overall portfolio if they belong there at all. And finally, are you having a problem with your investments? Are they giving you a problem? Gambling addiction hotlines now say they're getting calls from day traders. Slot machine style graphics, leaderboards, lists of popular stocks on mobile apps, prompts, animations, rewards, all this is turning investing into online sports betting. The National Council on Problem Gambling says, quote, the line between gambling and investing has almost been completely erased. They call it the Robin Hood effect, named for the online app that allows people to buy stocks commission-free. 1-800-GAMBLER. The helpline says they're getting a 50% increase in the number of calls related to day trading ever since the start of the pandemic. Robinhood's app rewards customers with falling confetti digitally. When you execute trades, you get emoji stars and high-five symbols. You do a trade, you're prompted with a smiley face to do another trade. You need to watch out, and if you're having an issue, you should contact 1-800-GAMBLER or the National Council on Problem Gambling. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. 888-PLAN-RICK is our telephone number. That's 888-752-6742. If you need help managing your personal finances during these tumultuous, uncertain times, give us a call or visit us online at ricedelman.com. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. I am very excited. Gene and I had a really big week this past week. It was the groundbreaking for the Gene and Rick Edelman Fossil Park Museum. We've been working on this project uh, since 2016, and we're really excited about it. After years of design and development, we are at the stage now, we've, we've got world-class architects who have built some of the most prestigious museums in the world. We have landscape architects who are just brilliant at the work that they do. And we are now at the stage of we're ready to begin construction. And we're really, really excited about this. The uh, Gene and Rick Edelman Fossil Park is at Rowan University. Rowan University is in South Jersey. A fossil park in New Jersey? 
Yeah, it sounds kind of crazy, um, but believe it or not, the very first dinosaur ever discovered wasn't in Chile, it wasn't in China, it wasn't in the Arctic, and it wasn't in Montana or North Dakota's Badlands. The very first dinosaur ever discovered in the 1850s was in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Farmers plowing their crops came upon some bones of an animal they couldn't identify, shipped those bones off to London, where they were ultimately identified as an entirely new species, ancient new species, and that began the paleontology era that we've been enjoying ever since. Why would there be fossils like this in New Jersey? Well, it's a big, long explanation. Basically, everything east of the Mississippi was underwater during the Cretaceous period. So you find dinosaurs where there's desert because fossils are just found sitting around on the ground. But New Jersey is full of vegetation, trees everywhere, which makes it hard to find fossils. But there's a quarry in South Jersey that has been there for 100 years. And as they've dug down, they have discovered fossils. And in this fossil park, it's unique in the world. 65-acre park, a quarry containing millions of fossils from the Cretaceous period, 66 million years old, vertebrae, teeth, and other bones of mosasaurs, prehistoric creatures that were swimming through the seas where South Jersey now is. And so Gene and I have provided the funding to enable them to build this project. The total project is $73 million. The museum is going to feature interactive galleries and exhibits filled with dinosaur skeletons and life-size replicas. It's 44,000 square feet all told. A cove crawling with land and sea creatures. The complex will have trails, a playground, an event space, a theater, a virtual reality chamber where you'll wear goggles and vests as you go on a journey into the world as it was during the Cretaceous era. You'll even feel the heat and wind thanks to haptic technology you'll be wearing. And you'll be able to dig for fossils. And whatever you find, you get to take home. Two weeks ago, they found an intact three-foot-wide turtle. They earlier found a 27-foot crocodile, the largest ever found. We're expecting this to be a major economic engine for the entire South Jersey region, drawing 200,000 visitors a year from all over the world. The museum is going to use solar and geothermal energy to be the state's biggest zero-net-carbon building. And, of course, a 2,000-square-foot gift shop. We're very excited about the Gene and Rick Edelman Fossil Park Museum, now under construction, and we're hoping to have it completed by Memorial Day weekend 2023. You can check it out online at Rowan University. I'm Rick Edelman. Every week, I like to bring you the latest and greatest in exponential technologies. Yeah, we're going to shift from the Cretaceous era right into the 21st century. One big subject everybody spends a lot of time looking at are electric cars and self-driving cars. Here's what's going on in those areas. Lucid Technologies is a alternative to Tesla, a competitor, and they're beginning to deliver their electric cars for the first time. This month, deliveries are going out. They have a couple of different versions. Their entry-level car is $77,000. Their big deal premier sedan, $169,000. According to the EPA, it has a 520-mile range. 13,000 orders so far for their vehicles. They're reaching the streets beginning this month. And uh, pretty exciting stuff. Uh, Tesla, they need to be worried about it? 
I would say yes. Walmart is getting into the driverless car scenario. They're launching a new delivery service powered by driverless cars. Ford Escapes, outfitted with self-driving software from Argo. They're making these cars available in Austin, Miami, and the Washington, D.C. metro area. The cars for now will have humans inside for safety, but they are driverless. They are automated vehicles, and Walmart is using them to deliver their products after you've placed your online order. But hey, let's face it, self-driving cars really are not here yet. We're all anxiously waiting, or maybe fretting, (laughs) the day that they're coming. Uh, But what do you do in between? Well, a Berlin company has figured this out. The company is called Vey. And they're working on a new kind of an approach. It's called teledrivers, people driving cars without actually being inside them. Remote drivers. Teledrivers sit at stations that look like an arcade game, complete with steering wheel, pedals, and monitors that give them a 360-degree view. You call they, just like you would call Uber or Lyft. The car shows up empty. Nobody's in it. It's operated by a teledriver. They're planning to launch their business in Europe and the U.S. in early 2022, just a few months away. I mean, we're using drone technology already, right? Air Force pilots are sitting in a cubicle somewhere operating a drone that's flying a continent away. Why would this be any different? And here's a fun one in the conversation of vaccines. Did I say fun and vaccine in the same sentence? You know what a big objection is that a lot of people have about the vaccines? I'm not talking about COVID particularly. I mean any vaccine. It's the needle. A lot of folks hate needles. Well, at Stanford and the University of North Carolina, they have just created a 3D printed patch. It's a vaccine patch. You slap it on your arm, no more shots. And according to their research, it's 10 times more effective at delivering the vaccine than the needle is. Pretty soon, we're not going to need needles for the delivery of drugs. Pretty cool. And robots are coming to your home. Amazon is doing test sales of its home robot called Astro. Two feet tall, 20 pounds, a 10-inch touchscreen, sensors, cameras, and microphones that can carry up to five pounds, and it's going to retail for $1,000. So we're seeing a lot of advances in the field of robotics, AI, optics, all of the technologies needed to make self-driving vehicles and robots and drones available at the retail consumer level. And this is just a tiny little picture of what's going on in the field of exponential technologies. And so to give you a deeper dive on what it means for you and your personal finances, your investment strategy, your future, A new webinar that we've just created debuts this coming Tuesday, October 19th. You can sign up for free at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. You can choose from attending at 3 p.m. or 8 p.m. And I'm going to show you what's going on in the field of artificial intelligence, robotics, 3D printing, big data, nanotech, biotech, bioinformatics, medicine and neuroscience. We're going to take a close look at the challenges that our country is facing today with Social Security, the federal debt, rising taxes, and how these exponential technologies are going to pave the way to a solution for us going forward. 
So I encourage you to watch the webinar that I've just produced, The Truth About Your Future, based on my New York Times bestselling book. It's this Tuesday, October 19th, 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. Register online right now for free at ricedelman.com. Let's take a phone call here on The Rick Edelman Show off to Geneva, Illinois, in Chicagoland. Ken is on the air with us. How you doing, Ken? I'm doing just fine, Rick. How are you today? Terrific. Thanks so much for calling. How can I help you? Well, first of all, I want to thank uh, you for so many years on your radio program and also to wish uh, you and Gene the best of uh, luck going forward. I know it's going to be more than luck in, in your future endeavors, and I look forward to seeing just how uh, things progress in this next phase of your career. I appreciate that very much, Ken. We'll have some exciting announcements uh, in a couple of weeks from now, but uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So stay tuned for more. Meantime, what can I do for you today? Well, um, I was uh, recently contacted by my um, uh, by Vanguard Financial, where I have uh, my investments, and uh, they're soliciting me to get involved in um, uh, possibly uh, private equity uh, in investing. I've uh, got sufficient assets that uh, would qualify me to, for being uh, uh, able to participate in this kind of a private equity fund. Uh, minimum re- minimum requirement is a, a investment of five hundred thousand dollars, and um, you know there are a lot of uh, questions that I have about um, you know the uh, long term commitment on this and the higher fees and uh, potential uh, calls for more uh, more equity and such. So I, I have read, I don't think I've ever really heard you address that very much on your uh, on your program. And one, if you could give us uh, me and other listeners your insights and uh, whether or not you know Edelman Financial has any uh, advises any of its wealthier clients to possibly uh, get involved with private equity. Uh, sure, uh, you're right. I don't talk about private equity here on the program uh, much at all. Um, but um, let me give you some background on it. I'm a fan of private equity. Uh, that should be as no surprise, since uh, our firm, Edelman Financial Engines, is now majority owned by private equity firms. We have three, in fact, private equity partners in our firm, and we've had uh, private equity partners since 2005. Uh, so I was very early in uh, welcoming private equity into our lives, and. Uh, I'm a big fan of private equity investments. Uh, Gene and I personally own some private equity funds. It is, as you noted, only for accredited investors. This means people who have uh, $200,000 or more in income, $300,000 if you're married, uh, and an expectation that you're going to continue that income, or a million dollars worth of investments excluding your home. So it is only for wealthy, affluent individuals, uh, which is why I generally don't talk about it a lot on the show, because this is a broad-based radio show, not merely a show for the, the very wealthiest. The advantage of private equity is that there is a problem in the overall equity markets. The problem is decreasing availability. You know, back if we go 10, 15 years ago, there were about 7,000 publicly traded stocks in the United States. Today, there's about half that number, about 3,500. Many companies that were publicly traded have gone private. Private equity firms, that's why they get their name, have bought these companies and taken them private. My company used to be publicly traded. uh, And when we did a merger with financial engines, they used to be publicly traded. We bought them, merged the two of our companies together, and took them private. So whereas investors used to be able to invest in Edelman Financial and in financial engines, 
public investors, ordinary uh, mutual fund buyers and so on, can't do that anymore because we're now privately held by a private equity firm. The reason that this trend has occurred, oh, there are a lot of reasons. Uh, I'll give you a few. One is that companies have a changing need for capital. In the old days, companies went public because they needed access to the capital markets. They needed the money to grow their business, build factories, engage in R&D, sell products, etc. Today, you don't need to go to the public markets to get capital the way that you used to. Now there's ample availability of capital in the private markets through either borrowing or from selling some of your equity in the private marketplace. So you don't need to go public anymore in that regard. You also have a new set of federal regulations, such as Sarbanes-Oxley, which are very burdensome. I remember 10 years ago when we were a publicly traded company, we were spending over $2 million a year in legal and accounting expenses to comply with Sarbanes-Oxley. It wasn't doing our company any good. It wasn't improving the safety of our clients or our investors. It was just legal regulatory obligation. And by going private, we saved ourselves millions of dollars a year. So a lot of companies are motivated to go private simply because of the burden of being public. And then there's another problem, which everybody is very familiar with. When you're a publicly traded company, Wall Street wants you to give your financial results on a quarterly basis. And they want to know, what are you doing over the next three months that's going to raise the stock price? Well, it's hard to make a long-term financial decision that's going to take years to develop when Wall Street demands quarterly results. By being private, we don't have to worry about it because our private equity partners are in it for the long term. They recognize they're making a multi-year investment of five or 10 years, and they're being patient about it. And that allows us to be more strategic long term. We're willing to spend money today without an immediate ROI, an immediate return on investment, because we know in the long run it'll pay off for our clients and for our employees and, yes, for our shareholders, the private equity partners. So those are just some of the reasons why private equity has grown up in this business and why I'm a fan of it. Because wouldn't it be great if we had bought Microsoft back when it went public? When Microsoft went public, it raised $61 million. And look at what Microsoft is worth today. But when Facebook went public, it was already worth $100 billion. In other words, Facebook went public to cash out the private equity investors, which means ordinary investors are losing out on the opportunity to get in on the ground floor when a company is young and new and has the future ahead of it. And that's an opportunity you have when you invest in a private equity fund. Private equity companies buy young companies with the goal of holding them for many years, using their own expertise to assist the company in management and finance and marketing, et cetera, to help the company grow. And this is an opportunity, unfortunately, only available to wealthier Americans. And this is why there's interest in private equity. It's also why there's movement to allow private equity funds to be an option inside your 401k plan, letting all workers everywhere have access to private equity. I think it's a wonderful opportunity and a wonderful idea. It's riskier, no question about it. It's more expensive, no question about it. And it takes a lot longer, no question about it. You mentioned all three of those, and let me elaborate so everybody knows. When you invest in a private equity fund, the time horizon is typically seven to 10 years. No liquidity in the meantime. 
So you really need to know that the money you're giving them is money you are absolutely positively not going to need over the next 10 years. That's not easy for a lot of people to handle. Second, the risks are much higher, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Third, the fees are much higher. Instead of a, an exchange-traded fund that has a, you know, an annual cost of 20 basis points, meaning 0.2% per year, private equity funds often have a fee of what's called 2 and 20. They charge 2% per year plus 20% of the profits. That's a huge fee. They get away with it because they're promising really big returns to their investors. There's no certainty you're going to get those returns, but the fee schedule is definitely what you're going to get. So it's expensive and it's a long time horizon. And then there's the issue of risk. And here's the big thing that you've really, really absolutely got to understand, Ken. When you buy a mutual fund or an ETF, you can put money into that fund today. You can put money into it next week and next year. The fund is the fund is the fund. It's not really going to change. It's the same manager of the fund with the same investment strategy, ordinarily buying many of the same companies time after time after time. But that's not what a private equity fund is. A PE fund is more like wine. And wine has a different vintage. And you can go get the same bottle of wine from the same winemaker, but if they're different years, you're going to have different results. Because we know that the performance of wine varies year to year based on the weather and based on the harvest and a whole lot of other factors. The same is true with private equity funds. If you go into somebody's private equity fund, they're going to buy a specific number of companies and specific individual companies. The next fund they launch in a few years from now will have a completely different roster of companies in a completely different economic environment. So... There are no two private equity funds alike, even when they're issued from the same private equity firm. And that means you're taking a big risk when you're buying a single private equity fund. It's like buying a single bottle of wine. What you need to do to do it better is the same thing you do with the rest of your investments. Diversify. And that means owning a variety of private equity funds, which you obtain over a series of years. Don't buy five equity funds all in October of 2021 because you're going to have the same economic environment for all of them. Spread them out over a period of years so that you get different economic circumstances at the time that you're doing these. And that means you're not going to buy one fund. You're going to buy five or 10 of them. And if they're each a half a million dollars, you're now spending 5 million bucks. So be careful as you approach private equity. You can't approach it the way that you approach mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. It's a totally different beast. The potential for reward is high, but that's only because the risks are very high as well. So be very careful. And I would simply say this. If you weren't ordinarily thinking of buying private equity and somebody solicited you, the mutual fund company that you have an account with gave you a call because they know you're a wealthy guy with a lot of money in your account and they're therefore offering this to you. Well, just be careful about buying something from the fellow who's trying to sell it to you. You might want to shop around to alternative products from alternative companies that are focused solely on private equity as opposed to a mutual fund company that, oh, by the way, has a private equity fund. So give that awesome thought. Well, that, that's all terrific. Um, that's just what I was looking for, Rick. And, uh, 
you not only met but exceeded my high expectations, as always. Ken, I really appreciate your phone call. Glad you found it helpful, and I do wish you the very best. That was Ken in Geneva, Illinois, here on The Rick Edelman Show. You can do what he did. Give me a call, 888-PLAN-RICK, or visit online at ricedelman.com. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. There has been a very interesting announcement released this week, very uncommon. FINRA, the NASAA, and the SEC have all issued a joint communique to the American public. FINRA is the top regulator of stockbrokers and brokerage firms. The SEC, of course, the top regulator of the financial markets and investment advisors. And the NASAA, the North American Securities Administrators Association, the regulators of the states across the country, the three of them have just issued a communique to all American investors, and I want you to know what it is. The three agencies are urging investors to establish a trusted contact. What is that? Well, when you open an account with a brokerage firm, you do so as an individual, an individual account, or you do it as a joint account with a spouse, perhaps. Maybe it's a trust account or IRA account, but the account is yours. And under federal law, nobody can say anything to anyone about it. So if you're our client and we have an account that we're managing on your behalf, the only person we can talk to about that account is you. We can't even tell anyone else that the account exists, other than the regulators, that is. But if your account is in your name only and your spouse calls us on the phone to ask about it, we can't even acknowledge that the account exists. If a child calls or other relative, a creditor, doesn't matter. We're not allowed to tell anybody anything about the account unless you give us permission to do so. But what happens if you become incapacitated? What happens if we try to call you on the phone to talk to you about your account and we try repeatedly and for some strange reason we're unable to reach you, which is very out of character for you? What if we observe activity in your account that is unusual. You are suddenly making a lot of withdrawals. And that is also uncharacteristic of you because we know you so well. And we try to talk to you about this and you dismiss us. You tell us not to worry. You tell us it's none of our business. What if we become concerned that you're under the influence of a scam artist who's trying to convince you that there's some get-rich-quick scheme available? What if there's a so-called love interest who is using romance to persuade you to helping them out? What if there is something going on? You need to establish a trusted contact. You need to give us the name of someone in your family, maybe your doctor or lawyer, who we can call on your behalf if we think something is going wrong. We strongly encourage you, FINRA, the NASAA, and the SEC strongly encourage you to establish a trusted contact with your financial advisor. If you haven't done it yet, do so right now. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Time now for everybody's favorite segment of the week, a visit by my wife, Jean Edelman. Gene, co-founder here at Edelman Financial Engines, a degree in consumer economics and nutrition, expert in macrobiotic cooking. 
Hey, Jean. Hello, everyone. It is wonderful to be with you today, as always, to share. We had a very exciting weekend with our Fossil Park groundbreaking. And I wanted just to share the speech that I gave at the opening, because it's just so humbling and so amazing that two kids from Glassboro State College could be creating a museum that is going to be pretty impactful and change the landscape of Southern New Jersey. Anyway, I believe that, you know, there are moments in our life where we kind of throw pebbles into the pond. And my first pebble was when I walked onto the campus of Glassboro State College in September of 1977. And on that very first day on campus, I met my best friend and beloved husband, Rick. And move fast forward to 1986 when we, the two of us, threw a rock into the water and we created our amazing company that here we are 36 years later, still helping families learn about money and come up with plans and create plans for their retirement and kids getting to school and, and parents being able to take care of their parents. And so we went from a pebble to a rock just impact in, in so many lives. And then this past weekend, I think we threw a boulder into the pond. And this museum is just going to be so wonderful. And there's so many pieces to it that maybe you don't want to go dig for fossils, but maybe you want to come and bird watch or run a 5K or just you know, go on to the playground. There's just so many layers where we can bring people in the community and the world together to do research and learn about our world 60 million years ago. And so all of us, we have opportunities to throw pebbles and rocks and boulders into the pond and ripple out positive and impact and affecting people's lives and I just want to remind each of us that we all have that opportunity and no one person is, is any more special than the rest. And we're all here to, to help each other and be here for each other with gratitude and kindness. And if nothing else, this project this past weekend showed that, you know, three kids, Rick, me, and Dr. Ken Lacavera, who is the lead on this project. He is the world's leading paleontologist and a fellow Rowan grad. And like I shared, the three of us are on the Glassboro campus at the same time. Three kids on campus came together and created something very impactful. And so all of us can do that at any time in our life. And so have a beautiful day and have a beautiful week and hug everybody in your life and have gratitude and kindness because um, it's all just really quite amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Gene, and thank you, Ken. I'm Rick Edelman. Remember to join me this Tuesday for my virtual event, The Truth About Your Future. Choose either 3 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern time. We've got some critical issues in the country today, the federal debt, rising taxes, the Social Security funding crisis, debilitating diseases such as Alzheimer's. And I'm going to show you what's going on in the field of medicine and neuroscience, artificial intelligence, robotics, 3D printing, big data, nanotech, biotech, bioinformatics, and how all these exponential technologies are going to pave the way to a solution for us going forward. It's this Tuesday for the truth about your future, 3 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. Register online right now for free at ricedelman.com. 
That's rickedelman.com. And if you've got a financial question, call us at Edelman Financial Engines, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at rickedelman.com. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for hanging around this half hour. Have you gotten your tax refund yet? Eight million American households have not had their 2020 tax returns processed yet by the IRS. The IRS has received 200 million phone calls so far this year, five times more than normal. As everybody's wondering, where is my tax refund and have you processed my return? 200 million phone calls? Is the IRS able to answer all them? Apparently not. According to the IRS, only 9% of the people who call end up reaching a live customer service representative. Is that the right phrase? Customer service representative? I'm not sure why I would call myself a customer when it comes to paying taxes. More like hostage sounds more like it. Anyway, I digress. The bottom line is this. If you have not yet received your tax refund, give the IRS some slack. They are under the gun. They are understaffed, underfunded. They're doing their best. Remember, they were working from home for a long time, just like everybody else. So they're way behind. And by the way, there's not a big reason to call to ask, where's my refund? Because the only thing that the customer service rep is going to be able to tell you to do is to go to the IRS website where they have an automated system that tells you the status of your refund. So, uh, yeah, that's the status there with the IRS. Hopefully you'll get your refund before you have to file your 2021 tax return. Have you been in the home market lately? Boy, you've noticed the impact. According to the Case-Shiller Home Price Index, it rose 20% in July year over year. This is the fourth consecutive record that we've had four months in a row. Home prices have hit, on average, all-time highs in this country. Home prices are now very quickly outpacing the ability of Americans to pay. And while the home price index is skyrocketing, the consumer confidence index is falling. It's down three months in a row. Consumers increasingly pessimistic about the overall economy coming forward. Part of the reason so many consumers feel that way is that in a new survey, half of all U.S. workers say that the pandemic hurt their financial institution. It has impacted their ability to contribute to retirement accounts. The good news is 60% of Americans say saving for retirement is now their number one financial goal. That's a record. So I guess the, the bad news is we're in a bit of a pickle. The good news is everyone's aware of it and determined to do something about it. What are you going to do about it? Well, 40% say they're going to work longer. You were thinking of retiring in the next few years? 40% say they're going to keep on working to continue earning more and more money. That is going to help you a lot more than I think you realize. It's smart for you to adjust your retirement plans. And it is smarter than I think you even realize how smart it is. Because by working an extra year, lots of things happen. Number one, you save that much more into your retirement. Your boss kicks in a matching contribution that much more. You have an extra year of compounding, adding to your wealth. And if all that wasn't enough, you've shortened your retirement by one year. 
reducing the amount of money you'll ultimately need in retirement. Indeed, working just an extra year or two or three can have a profound benefit for your financial security when you finally do retire. So I know it doesn't sound like fun to continue working and to work longer than you were hoping or planning, but it really is going to pay off in a big way for you. And we have more news in the world of pensions. Lockheed Martin just converted $5 billion in pension plan liabilities to annuities, affecting 18,000 retirees. The annuities are being provided by Athene Annuity. The payments are going to start January 1st. This is not at all unusual. Since 2017, there have been 286 of these conversions by corporate America, involving a total of $21 billion. It's understandable why companies are doing this. They're trying to figure out how to preserve the ability to provide benefits for their retirees and future retirees without breaking the bank, without making it so problematic for their own business that it frankly creates an undue financial burden. So Lockheed Martin is the latest in a long string of companies that are doing this. This isn't necessarily horrible. If the annuity company works out well, if the annuity product does as promised, your income stream shouldn't be affected. But you need to realize a couple of things. Number one, companies have an economic motivation to do this. That's why it has happened 286 times, why it's going to happen more in the future. You need to realize you don't get advance notice. You don't get a say. There's no vote. The company doesn't ask your permission to do this. They can do this unilaterally. The annuity company that is then going to be producing the income for you, well, that becomes their burden, their legal obligation. If something happens to them or to that annuity product, there is no PBGC to back it up the way there is with an official pension plan. So this is why I say, even if you have a pension, you should not assume that your retirement is taken care of. The ideal approach is for you to save for retirement as though your pension doesn't exist. Worst thing that happens, you end up saving a lot of money. And I have yet to meet anybody in retirement who complained that they saved too much money. And between now and retirement, where are you going to be working? Big companies are trying to figure this out. When are they going to bring workers back to the office? Are they ever going to do that? Different companies have posted a lot of different answers depending on the nature of their business. Some jobs can clearly be done anywhere by workers, but other jobs, let's face it, you can't fly an airplane from your living room. So there are some jobs you got to go to work to be able to perform. Well, PricewaterhouseCoopers, you know, this is a company that frankly, just does a lot of talking to people. You know, they're a consultancy business, an advisory firm. So that really can be done anywhere. They have 40,000 employees in the U.S. they define as client-facing. And they've just announced that those 40,000 employees can work anywhere in the United States. They are never going to have to go back to the office. So, What's your employer's strategy and what's your attitude about it? This is going to perpetuate for the next year or so 
a lot of movement as people change jobs and employers in order to work for a company that gives them the ability to work where they want to work. And not everybody wants to work from home. That's kind of isolating, isn't it? Not social at all. And it's kind of hard to get mentoring and groom and grow in your company. A lot of folks can't wait to get back to the office, and they're not happy that their boss says you never have to come back. So some are choosing to go to companies specifically because they go into the workplace. And ultimately, though, you are, in fact, going to retire. And what will your age be when you do that? Are you going to be old? Well, I guess we have to now define what old means. In Japan, 29% of the population are over the age of 65. That's a big number, largest in the world. In the United States, 17% are over 65. 17 versus 29. In Europe, it's 21% over the age of 65. So what did Japan just do? Well, the Japan Gerontological Society and the Japan Geriatrics Society have changed the definitions of old. You are not old if you are 65. If you are between the ages of 65 to 74, you are pre-old. And if you are to be defined as old, you have to be 75 or older. So it is demonstrating, once again, our longevity is altering society at the most fundamental levels. Don't call me old, I'm only in my 60s. I'm Rick Edelman, you're listening to The Truth About Money. Triple H, Plan Rick, online at ricestellman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Triple H, Plan Rick is our telephone number. You can call that number anytime you like during the week. Triple H. 752-6742. You can also go to my website, rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. And you can also send me your questions to askrick at rickedelman.com. Just record your voice into your smartphone. Send me the file to askrick at rickedelman.com. But meanwhile, let's say hi to Sandra. She's in South Yarmouth, Massachusetts. How are you doing, Sandra? I'm doing great, thank you. How can I help you today? Um, my question was, um, I have stock in communications that I want to cash out and diversify it. Okay. And I just didn't know what my tax implications would be. Uh, what stocks are they? Um, AT&T, Comcast, Verizon. How long ago did you buy them? Oh, my husband kind of inherited them. So they've been around since 1984. Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how exciting. <laughs> Not really, but. <laughs> Your question is, what's the tax implication going to be? Here's my answer. Okay. A lot. Um, <laughs> so the stocks have risen significantly over the past uh, 40 years. Okay. And uh, you're going to pay capital gains tax uh, when you sell those stocks. Okay. So uh, get ready to hold your nose, close your eyes, and grimace as you write that check to the IRS. Okay. Um, does it go by a cost? How do I go about finding that out? Like, is it a cost basis? So do you have records? Uh, you say that your husband inherited these stocks in 1984. Yes. Do you know the date he inherited them? Um, the exact date? Yep. Um, it's, 
I know it's in 1984. I had called um, called them up and asked them for all the records. Um, so I are they giving you the records? So I do have them. Good. Yes. That's key. So you need to know the date that you acquired the shares. Mm-hmm. If it's an inheritance, the date of acquisition is the date of death of the person who passed away. Okay. Uh, or several months later, um, you choose one or the other. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking it was more um, like one of the siblings took the money and invested it for all the siblings. I'm not sure how that was handled back then. Well, you need to find out because we need to know the date that you and your husband acquired these shares. Mm-hmm. You need to know if there were subsequent purchases over time. You need to know the date of each acquisition of shares mm-hmm. so that you can go through the records and find the price as of those dates. Okay. Because you want to compare today's price to the prices as of those dates. You subtract one from the other and the result is your profit. Okay. So let's say that you acquired the shares when they were 10 bucks a share, and today the price is 100 bucks a share. That gives you a profit of 90 bucks a share. Right. And that's the number you pay taxes on. If you can't come up with that historic data, mm-hmm. the IRS will assume that your basis is zero, and you'll pay taxes on the entire value, which is obviously not ideal for you. Okay. I see. So record keeping is extraordinarily important when investing. Mm-hmm. So you might have some sleuthing to do to come up with that data. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. And I'm really impressed with the one key fact here, Sandra, Mm -hmm. is that you're not letting the tax itself stop you from selling the shares so that you can diversify. Very often we come upon people who say, I don't want to sell because I don't want to pay the tax. That's the wrong attitude. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if you go with that attitude, you end up keeping these few securities highly concentrated. That's very risky. You're going to end up incurring the tax anyway. Unless you die owning the stocks, you're going to pay the tax anyway. Right. So your choice isn't whether or not to pay the tax. Your only choice is when to pay the tax. It's when you want to pay it. Right. Exactly right. So uh, you're going about it exactly the correct way. It was wonderful that you owned them during this period. You've made a lot of money with it. Congratulations. Good for you. They are now a highly concentrated position of your net worth. It makes sense to sell, Mm -hmm. pay the tax that you are going to pay sooner or later anyway, and use the proceeds to diversify, giving you a lower risk portfolio that chances are may be able to produce the same kind of returns that you were going to get out of these stocks anyway. Okay. That sounds great. Sandra, thanks so much for calling. That was Sandra in Massachusetts here on the Rick Edelman Show. You can call us too, 888-PLAN-RICK. Let's say hi to Jerry. He's in Lake Mills, Wisconsin, and he's on the air here on the Rick Edelman Show. How you doing, Jerry? I'm doing well. Thank you, Rick. What can I do for you? Well, in recent broadcasts, there have been people that have had questions with regard to capital gains, and uh, I always find it interesting that charity is never brought up. Well, there's a simple reason for that. It's not the nature of the individual's question. 
they aren't calling with a question on how can I maximize my tax advantages in donating to charity or what are the efficient opportunities or what are my charitable options, et cetera. When those questions come up, we talk extensively about charitable options, everything from donor-advised funds, which allow you to get a tax deduction today while deferring who the charity is that gets the money, to charitable trusts, charitable remainder trusts, uh, charitable grantor trusts, grits and grats and, and so on. So we talk about it when there's a charitable intent, but typically people call the show saying, I've made a lot of money and I've got to pay a lot of taxes and I'm annoyed at having to do that and I don't want to pay taxes. How can I avoid my taxes? Well, sure, you can avoid the taxes by giving the money away, but that's not their point. That's not what they're trying to accomplish. That's a, that's a good answer. I overlooked the fact that we've got to start with the charitable intention. Okay. Thank you for that thorough explanation, Rick. You're very welcome, Jerry. I appreciate it. And I'll raise a point for you that I think is your really big point. Look, folks, if you've made a lot of money in your investments, you really ought to think about charity more than you perhaps are. I'll say that for Jerry. That's a great encouragement. Appreciate that. You're very welcome, Jerry. Keep up the good work. That was Jerry from Lake Mills, Wisconsin, here on the Rick Edelman Show. Triple H Plan Rick is the phone number online at rickedelman.com. Each week, I like to bring you the latest and greatest in the field of exponential technologies. Technology is going to transform every aspect of business on the planet, including businesses you wouldn't think have much to do with tech, like the insurance industry. The insurance industry over the next decade is going to be using satellites, drones, and GPS data. It's going to allow insurers to monitor their risks in real time worldwide. Claims after natural disasters, claims filing will be automated. You'll just file your claim on your smartphone as soon as the disaster occurs, and you're going to get payment on that claim lightning fast because it's all going to be fully automated through AI. So it's just an illustration of how everything everywhere is going to be taking advantage of technological innovation. Texas has just built a barracks for its military personnel at Camp Swift Training Center. This barracks is 3,800 square feet. Well, what's the big deal about that? It was 3D printed. The biggest 3D printed building in North America. The only building bigger than that that's 3D printed is in Dubai. That one is 6,900 square feet. The barracks in Texas will hold 72 soldiers, and because it was printed in concrete, it ought to last for decades. Meanwhile, they're going to have to paint that barracks, and what they might want to use is the world's whitest paint. Scientists have now developed it at Purdue University. It could eliminate the need for air conditioning. The paint is so white, it reflects 98% of sunlight away from the building while emitting infrared heat. Normally, white paint gets warmer rather than cooler because it absorbs light and heat from the sun, even though it's white. This ultra-white paint doesn't do that. What makes it so ultra-white? A very high concentration of barium sulfate, which is used in cosmetics. They expect to bring the paint to the marketplace within the next two years. All these are pretty fascinating innovations coming our way, and I'm here to tell you all about them. And one key way I want to do that for you is by inviting you to a brand new webinar that I've just created. It debuts this coming Tuesday, October 19th. You can sign up for free at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. You can choose from attending at 3 p.m. or 8 p.m. 
and I'm going to show you what's going on in the field of artificial intelligence, robotics, 3D printing, big data, nanotech, biotech, bioinformatics, medicine, and neuroscience. We're going to take a close look at the challenges that our country is facing today with Social Security, the federal debt, rising taxes, and how these exponential technologies are going to pave the way to a solution for us going forward. So I encourage you to watch the webinar that I've just produced, The Truth About Your Future, based on my New York Times best-selling book. It's this Tuesday, October 19th, 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. Register online right now for free at ricedelman.com. Let's take a phone call here on The Rick Edelman Show. We've got a Calico Rock, Arkansas. William is with us on the air. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine, sir. How about yourself? Doing well, thank you. How can I help you? Mr. Edelman, I am, of course, disabled, and my wife has uh, lost her job uh, at the end of 2020, in December. We've been pretty uh, reliable with putting money back for these older age, or our older age in life. And uh, I, I'm just concerned about um, the uh, government coming for the money in the IRAs because I know our debt ceiling is just uh, ever-increasing. And, and I don't have a financial advisor here uh, close to my home, and I'm getting too old. Uh, uh, have you got any advice for me as far as protecting my assets or what what little money what money we do have from the mm -hmm. government uh may I ask sir how old you are sir i'm 62 and my wife is 63 okay and uh how much is your uh disability income it's it's right at two thousand and is your wife expecting to go back to work N no sir she well, of course, uh, in this little community we're at, it's hard to find the, the type of sure. job that she was at. And, Understood. Uh, so, so she has she has signed up for uh, early retirement. And so she'll be eligible for Social Security. Yes, sir. I think I think she got her first check uh, last last week. And how much was that? Fourteen ninety-eight, I, th I think, is what she's getting. Okay, that's a little bit better than the national average. That's good. Uh, and tell me, how much money do you have in your IRA accounts and other savings? It's one hundred and twenty-four. Do you have other money in addition to that? Uh, y yes, sir. I, I have a fixed annuity at at three percent, and uh, it's it's right at twenty thousand. Okay. And she has another. Uh, IRA rollover of, of 20000 And is there any money in a bank account, checking, or savings account? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. How, uh, how much? I would think 180000 Okay. And how much money do the two of you spend on a monthly basis? Oh, well, we don't go out every day and eat because there's nowhere to eat. So, so we're, we're pretty frugal, and, and as far as a daily basis, we're just dealing with uh, our electricity and our grocery needs. So from what you're describing for me, William, you're in a very, very good financial condition, you and your wife, and have a lot of peace of mind about that. 
Regarding your concern about the government confiscating the money or, or taxing the money away because of the federal debt that the government has, the tax increases that are being proposed are not going to affect you much, if at all. Uh, so I don't think you need to be terribly worried about that. Upon your death, the surviving spouse will inherit all of the money. At the second death, then the money will be distributed to heirs. So tell me, um, do you have children? Uh, no, sir. We do not. So who is it that is going to inherit your money? Sir, it would be probably one of our closest friends. Okay. So the way that the tax law works, at least for now, there isn't going to be any estate tax that you have to worry about. So all of the money in your IRAs, in that fixed annuity that you have, any money that is still there upon the second death will be subject to income taxes. Um, and whatever's left after the income taxes will then go to your friend. And I don't think you need to worry uh, about the government um, seizing the money or confiscating it or anything like that. That is not even being conceived by anybody uh, in, in Washington, D.C. or at the state government level. It's not something you need to be worried about. All you want to make sure you're doing is that you have your legal documents in place, that you have named your beneficiary designation on your IRA accounts and on the fixed annuity, that the bank account where you have your cash reserves and emergency fund, that those are jointly held with you and your wife. You want to make sure you have a will that's up to date. And you want to make sure that you have a medical directive and powers of attorney so that you can take care of each other. That's all you need. When we get off the call, uh, we will provide to you the name of uh, an advisor that you can talk with over the phone who can also help you connect with an attorney who can provide you with these documents. You, they don't have to be terribly local to you as long as they are in the state of Arkansas. The lawyer will be able to assist and you can probably do all of this over the phone without you having to travel. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Mr. So, Elliman, I thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your day to advise me on this. this. This gives me great confidence. Well, I'm very glad that you called. I'm glad I was able to give you some peace of mind, and I wish you and your wife the very best. Thank you so much, sir, and we wish y'all the best. Also, thank you. That was William in Calico Rock, Arkansas. You know, with all the complexities and handling your personal finances these days, you know you can always turn to us for help. Just call us at Edelman Financial Engines, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742, or visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. My colleagues are happy to help you through the maze of taxes, investments, mortgages, saving for college, all the financial issues you face every day. We're staying on the phones and heading northeast to Elmsford, New York. Gail's on the line. How you doing, Gail? I'm fine, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thanks so much. What can I do for you? I'm going to help my son pay down a student loan. Okay. And I want to know if I should, is it wise for me to, to just take money out of my tax deferred annuity or take it out as a loan? Tell me your age. I'll be 70 next year. Are you retired? Yes. How much money is in that TDA account? Um, about 200 and do you have other money separate from the tax-deferred annuity? Yes, I do. How much? Uh, maybe about 150 Okay. And do you have Social Security? Yes. How much do you get from that? 
1400 a month. Okay. And do you have any other sources of income? From my uh, pension. And how much is that? 42 And what are your monthly expenses? Mm, approximately 3000 Okay. Well, you're in excellent financial condition. I didn't know if you know that, Gail. Oh, okay. <laughs> But but you are you're in great shape. I mean your your social security and pension income is fifty six hundred a month, and your expenses are only three thousand a month. So right. and you've got three hundred fifty thousand dollars set aside. And that doesn't even include your house. Right. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Good for you. You should feel pretty good about uh, your your uh, hard work for your career that has done this. Thank you. <laughs> and it's wonderful that you want to help out your son. Um, tell me where this other hundred and fifty thousand is. Between my husband and I. Is it in the bank? Is it in mutual funds? Where is it? It's in uh, mutual. In mutual funds. Mm -hmm. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, sure, the short answer to your question is absolutely, you can give your son $30,000 to help him pay off his student loan debt. Okay. No problem. You can easily afford to do this. Mm -hmm. But keep this in mind. If you withdraw the money from your tax-deferred annuity account, that's the account you got at work, right? Right, yes. When you make withdrawals from that account, you're going to have to pay taxes. On right, those I know that because mm -hmm, I've done it before. Which means, in order to give your son thirty thousand dollars, you're going to have to withdraw about fifty thousand dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. If you withdraw the money from your mutual funds instead, you won't have that big tax hit. Mm -hmm. So, what you might want to do is meet with your tax advisor, right, or a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. uh, who we can do the math for you and show you which account is the better account to withdraw the money from. Oh, okay. To reduce the tax liability that you're going to have to pay. Mm -hmm. Okay, because I wasn't going to take that much out at one time. Doesn't matter. When you take it, you're going to deal with this tax issue. Right, yeah. Whether you take it, you know, 10 grand a year over three years, whether you do it all at once, it doesn't make any difference. The tax is going to be the tax. Right. So right. Let's, let's make sure we're doing this tax efficiently. Okay. Um, so that you're not having to give the IRS a big chunk of money while you're giving your son a big chunk of money. Right. Okay. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, great plan. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome, Gail. Wish you the best. Thank you. That was Gail in Elmsford, New York, here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick, online at ricestelman.com. Let's take another telephone call here on The Rick Edelman Show. Off to Brooklyn, Susan is standing by. How are you doing, Susan? Good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks so much. What can I do for you? Okay. I have a question about annuities. Okay. And I wanted to know, what is bad about investing in a fixed tax-deferred annuity? at a rate of 2.35 for five years at the present time. Well, I'm not sure it's bad. Uh, let me tell you the details, and you can decide if it's good or bad for your situation. First of all, it is a fixed annuity, meaning you're getting a fixed rate of return for 2.35, and that sounds a whole lot better than you're being offered probably in your bank account, which is zero point nothing. Right. So that sounds good, but inflation this year is about 4 or 5% which means you're still losing money in that annuity at 2.35 in real economic terms. Yes, but I'm getting a little more than I would if I just left it in the bank. Understood, but it's not totally solving the problem is my point. And here's the other issue. How, let me ask you this, Susan. How old are you? 70 plus. Okay. That matters because uh, if you were under the age of 59 and a half, 
uh, you would have to leave the money there until you were at least that age. Since you're in your 70s, that isn't particularly a problem because here's the key. Many annuities offer you a fixed rate of return for a certain period of time, like you've described. You're getting 2.35% for five years. But the annuity has a lockup period that is often longer than that, meaning it might be a 10-year lockup period. Even though the interest rate is guaranteed for five years, after five years, they may reduce the interest rate. And if you try to sell it, they're going to hit you with a penalty that can wipe out all the interest you've earned over the last five years. You need to look at the contract to see what the contract says about your ability to sell after five years. Well, I was told that after five years, I can get my total investment back, uh, including the interest, and have the option of renewing at whatever the rate is at that time. Okay. Did you see that in writing? Yes, I did. Good, good. That matters because that's a key element of annuity contracts. Also keep in mind that this is a five-year contract, meaning if you withdraw money during the five years, you're not going to earn the 2.35%. So are you highly confident you're going to leave this money alone, untouched, for five years? Yes, yes. Okay. Then in your situation, based on what you're describing, I'm not sure that it's a bad thing for you to do this. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure you have significant liquidity elsewhere so you don't have to tap into this, that you're able to cancel the contract at the end of the five-year period without any penalty or fee, uh -huh. and that you're dealing with a high-quality, very highly rated annuity company that is going to be able to deliver on its promise. And as, you, as long as you can do those things, then I'll shrug my shoulders and say, if you want to do this, go ahead. Okay. Should I mention the name of the um, annuity to you? Go ahead. Symmetra. I'm not familiar with them, but you know what? It really doesn't matter. And the reason is annuity companies often sell their annuity business to other annuity companies. Even if you were to give me a household brand name that everybody knows and we're highly confident about their financial stability, they may sell the annuity to another company that we've never even heard of. So that's part of the problem in buying annuities is that you don't really know for sure ultimately who is backing it. So I'm not familiar with them, but they should be able to give you their ratings so that you can at least evaluate their current financial status, even though you're not in control as to whether or not they may sell the block of business to another company over the next five years. Right. Well, this is my first attempt at, at purchasing an annuity. I've never dealt with it before because I was afraid, but um, I went through Chase. Yeah. Well, how much money, Susan, are you talking about here? 100000 and how much total money do you have? I have more than that. And I have a pension and I have my social security. You know what you might want to consider doing? Just from, again, a notion of safety. Right. Instead of putting all $100,000 in this one annuity, go find four other annuities that are highly similar and give each of them $25,000. I see. Okay. The thing is, if you put less than 100 you get a lower rate. Well, that's the balance of risk and return, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So you think it's better to spread it out and get lower and... I would because I've never heard of this company and I would rather have five annuities with $20,000 each or four annuities with $25,000 each than putting all my eggs into one basket with a company I've never heard of, which is being pitched to me by an insurance salesman. Mm -hmm. I see. But it's Chase and Chase is, you know, a reputable company, I would assume. Um, Chase Bank. 
this product is being offered by an outside insurance company from a salesman at Chase who is earning a commission to sell you the product. I see. I see. And by the way, the commission he earns to sell you the product could be four times higher than the interest you're going to earn on it. Mm, interesting. Uh, I have another question. So what else would be good for me to invest in, considering that I um, you know, pay a lot of taxes and I'd like to um, – Get some return on my money. It's a challenge that everybody's facing these days, isn't it? Interest rates so terribly low. Inflation is high and rising. Tax rates are rising. And it's a real dilemma. There's no question about it. So our preferred answer is diversification. Instead of putting a whole bunch of money into simply one thing because it looks safe and looks like a higher rate of interest, we believe in owning the broad array of the investment landscape, giving you diversification, which gives you the exposure to the marketplace that I think in the long run can be expected to generate a higher return than you're experiencing. It isn't going to do it risk-free. There's no such thing as a free lunch. But it might make sense for you to meet with a fee-based advisor, somebody who doesn't make money selling you annuity products to earn a commission, so that you can get a second opinion, a different point of view. Um, and we have offices throughout the New York metro area, and so we'd be happy to do this. There are a lot of talented advisors that you could turn to, and I would recommend that it might be worth a conversation, even if only the, over the phone, just to get uh, other ideas. How do I contact one of your advisors? Well, you know what I'll do? When we finish this phone call, I'll put you on hold. We'll get your phone number, and I'll have one of my colleagues call you. Okay, that would be great. Um, I just want to mention one more thing. I had some bad experience buying stocks and funds and, and whatever, and I lost a lot of money, and so I'm reluctant to invest in the stock market. Susan, when was, when was that? Do you remember? Yeah, 1988, around there, 87, when there was a big crash. Yeah, the crash of 87. We all, yeah, we all remember that rather painfully. So I understand your, your point of view. I, I, I get that totally. Uh, losing a lot of money in the stock market is possible. When you experience it, it's, it's devastating, and it could easily shy you away. But you know what? Uh, we have to remember that that was a specific period of time. And it, at any given moment, the stock market can do that. It did it in 1987, 1992. It did it in 01. It did it again in 08. But in all the other periods, the stock market was rising. So what we have to remember is that you're kind of talking about a glass. And if you pour poison in the glass and drink it, you're going to get sick. So that doesn't mean avoid all glasses. It means avoid all poisons. So I would suggest you consider the stock market for a portion of your money and recognize that it's the glass that matters and what you pour into it, as opposed to only drinking poison only at a certain period of time. And again, talking with a financial advisor can give you more information about this to help you gain the confidence you need to decide if it's an approach you want to take. And you may decide, after considering all that, that the annuity is something you favor. And that's fine, too. But at least you'll be making an informed decision that's in your best interest. Okay. Thank you very much. Susan, I really appreciate your phone call. Thank you. That was Susan in Brooklyn, New York, here on The Rick Edelman Show. She called 888-PLAN-RICK. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Remember to join me this Tuesday for my virtual event, The Truth About Your Future. Choose either 3 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We've got some critical issues in the country today. The federal debt, rising taxes, the Social Security funding crisis, debilitating diseases such as Alzheimer's. And I'm going to show you what's going on in the field of medicine and neuroscience, artificial intelligence, robotics, 3D printing, 
big data, nanotech, biotech, bioinformatics, and how all these exponential technologies are going to pave the way to a solution for us going forward. It's this Tuesday for the truth about your future, 3 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. Register online right now for free at ricedelman.com. That's rickedelman.com. And if you've got a financial question, call us at Edelman Financial Engines, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at rickedelman.com. See you next week.